she's like Hanson, Hanson, and I lean over to Manoj and, <laughs> and what is what's the character's name? Masteratu uh, or something like that. It's uh, Will. It's Will Ferrell's character. It's Will Zoolander. Ferrell's character in Zoolander, and I whisper, I lean over to Manoj and I'm like, he's so hot right now, like the scene from Zoolander. <laughs> And it just I couldn't he, stop laughing for like a good 10 minutes. I couldn't <laughs> so bad. He couldn't hold it in right in the meeting, too. <laughs> the views and opinions of authors expressed herein do not necessarily state or reflect those of the United States government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. talking about like just play on like a play on words kind of thing my daughter had the best dad joke ever i was ever. blown away okay okay hold so, on i'll be the judge of this i'll be the judge okay of this. <laughs> she's she's six years old okay we're watching harry potter it's the one where he fights the basilisk i don't remember chamber of secrets, chamber of secrets. there you go thank you gentlemen experts on harry potter i love that Jess will be so proud of me on that one. (laughs) Yeah. So we're watching it and she, we, we sort of like watched a few pieces here and there, but now she's at an age where she can sit, keep her attention and follow the storyline. So we explain the sorting hat. Here's what the sorting hat is. Here's what it does. And as we know, later in the movie, when he's down in the chamber of secrets, thank you for reminding me the name, the sorting hat is down there. I think the Phoenix brought the sorting hat and the sword of, Gryffindor, right? Was that I think it was the Gryffindor sword. Okay. Shows up in the sorting hat and she starts laughing hysterically. Dad, dad, do you get it? No, I don't. What are you talking about? She goes, Dad, it's the sorting hat. Oh my God. How did I not see this before? Couldn't be this blown away. Couldn't believe it. Nice. I, you can't, I can't top that. Yeah. No. Six years old. The sorting hat. <laughs> Got it. So I don't know if that was intentional by the folks that made the movie, but I can't look at it the same way anymore. That's going to be a t-shirt on Etsy now. Watch. <laughs> uh, so do we want to start talking about the book? We should start talking about the book. Okay. This month's book was The Hero Code by Admiral William McRaven, a retired four-star admiral, I believe, Navy SEAL. It was a short read, fairly simple and easy to go through, broken up into, I think it was 10 chapters. I know there were 10 codes that, it, that he discussed. So I'm not going to... So I, I, Greg did a fantastic job. He, he made a post on our Facebook page going through all 10 of the hero codes and then also discussing uh, his own. I'll let him discuss some of that later, but I I thought it was a fantastic post and definitely worth going to check out, but I'll just go over the, the 10 uh, sections in the book and the the, the codes. And so the first one was courage. Then there was humility, sacrifice, integrity, compassion, perseverance, duty, hope, humor, and forgiveness. I took a lot of notes as I went through the through the book, there were a lot of really great stories that sort of explained in a, in a real way 
what he felt that that code meant. Um, and so he gave some really great examples and stories about those. And I'm sure that we'll get into some discussion about those. Well, one thing that uh, Greg had made in his post was his strongest and weakest. And while I'll let him speak to his, I'll say what I felt was was my strongest and weakest, or at least the one that I related to the most in terms of strength. Uh, and that was integrity. I have a very strong sense of integrity and trust are very important to me, justice. And I kind of think that those are all very similar. Um, and those are, those are some of my personal values. So I really related very strongly with integrity. So the hero code for integrity was, I will be a person of integrity. Every decision I make and every action I take will be moral, legal, and ethical. For whatever reason, I don't know why, but that just seems to resonate with me uh, and my personality. My weakest, I think, was a mix between two of them, and it was a mix between hope and courage. So for me, for hope, um, that's exactly what it sounds like, right? You have to have hope. I think he says in the book that hope is the strongest force in the universe, and without it, you're destined to a life of fear and despair. I tend to look on the negative side of things. Sometimes I tend to be more of a pessimist than an optimist. So I think because of that, that's why maybe I I don't see or have hope in in many ways. And the reason I added courage to that as well, because he made a quote in the book, what he says in the book about courage is that sometimes the physical courage to face the enemies of the nation or the threats on the street pales in comparison to the courage necessary to take on the enemy within. That like resonated deeply with me. And I say that I have a weakness with that because, uh, so I'll just get a little personal here. I've struggled with depression and anxiety. I, I'm constantly trying to battle those demons. I've, you know, I've gone to mental health and I've, I've worked with mental health care providers. It's a constant battle, but for a long time, I ignored those. I ignored them because I was afraid of what that might expose in terms of like how that might shake me and who I believe is my, who I am. Right. And, and that might shake me to my core and make me have to rethink a lot of things about my life and, and my values and my beliefs. But when I did that, I realized that it really wasn't as bad as I thought it was. So I think I'm probably getting better in that area. I still think that I have a lot of work to do. So those were my feelings on the strongest and the weakest. Overall, I, I really enjoyed the book. That was a, a pretty easy read. There was a lot of little nuggets here and there. It's just one of those books that you can kind of pick up and maybe get a nugget or two out of it without really having to maybe put too much thought into it. So yeah. So Manoj, what were your thoughts on the on the book? That was a great synopsis. <laughs> I don't know if I could follow that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I don't know about great, but thank you. It's so funny. The ones you mentioned, like we were talking about earlier, I think most of us can probably agree that we, ha we have some good examples and good traits in, in all 10 of these, but we can find our strengths and weaknesses, at least strength moments and weak moments in all of these 10 at some point in our lives. I will say for me, I, I could resonate with a lot of them, but I think the one I probably resonated the most with was hope. I tend to be actually, generally speaking, an optimistic person. I, I do tend to realize there are hard times ahead. I can realize that. I can foresee that. But if I go into them having that fear, I'm not, not going to survive. I know for a fact. So I'm like, why even add more stress to my life that I, I don't think I need? So let's, it's, there's no other option but to have hope. And I think I've been kind of 
grown up with that mentality and it was instilled in me as, at a young age. Didn't realize it at the time until much later in life. I mean, even a lot of hope joining the Air Force. I hadn't even left the state of Georgia before joining and none of my family members were military. Nobody around me was military really. And somebody turned me to the direction of medical service corps, actually with the army first, but you know, kind of glad that didn't work out and the Air Force did. <laughs> but I, I had to have hope coming in and I, I had prayed about it. I was definitely nervous about it. I didn't know what would happen. And I'll get personal for a second too. I was questioning it for a while. And then I went to MEPS actually, and uh, I had something that came up that said they were going to disqualify me. And I was like, wow. And I actually cried. I was like, wow, I'm not joining the Air Force, I guess. I was really, really bummed out. And then the next day I talked to my recruiter, like, oh no, they can say whatever they want. We, we still want you. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I, wow. I did see that coming. And so that hope kind of reinvigorated me and I went full force into the air force and eight years later, I'm still here. Like, and it's been a heck of a ride and I've had hope through every job I've had, every PCS I have, you know, going overseas to Korea for the first time, I had to have hope that that was going to go well, definitely nervous about it. But I, I had hope that I was going to learn a lot, become a better officer, be become a better MSC, become a better person for that experience that I had. And it definitely all worked out. I would say kind of in relation to those stories, I think a weak one for me would be perseverance, which sounds contradictory to what I've been talking about lately here. But I feel like for perseverance, like it, it, you feel like you're in a weak moment when you're going through it. And I think that's why I, I claim it as a, a weakness of mine, because it's hard going through those tough moments. We all have them. And to persevere, yes, you're, you're, you're getting through it, you're overcoming it, and you're coming out the other side, a better person, a smarter person, a wise, wiser person. But at the time, you feel like, oh, man, this could be going so much better. I feel like I, I could have taken such a different direction with this, or I could have done this. But and that's why you feel like perseverance could be a weakness you have, but it's you have to look at it the other way of you overcoming that obstacle. Not that you got to that obstacle. We're all going to get to an obstacle, but it's the it's that journey through that obstacle. So I had to really flip that around and think about opposite. Like just because I got to that obstacle is not like, oh, and now I have to go through perseverance. And that's just the weakest trait of mine because it's a tough time for me to get through it. But that's not how you have to think about it. You got to think about the other way of going through it makes you see different perspectives, different ideas, and different ways of getting through the tough times. It kind of makes you appreciate those good times and that when you get to the other side a lot more. Like you mentioned, this it was a short read, but a great read. Uh, all uh, Admiral McRaven's examples were amazing. They were heartfelt and maybe because we're military and he was military, I could relate a little bit. I mean, I'm not a Navy SEAL by any means, but I can still kind of feel his uh, his realism in his stories. Like they were, they were real moments for him. They were uh, humble moments for him, which is another trait, one of the other chapters he talks about. Um, so I usually, if anyone knows me, I'm not really the biggest reader. I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of just reading books. They're, they're kind of boring to me. I'm a math guy. But uh, this is one of the first books that I really couldn't put down. I had to, I had to keep going because it just got more and more interesting and more and more lightning as I, as I got to the end. So, Greg, I'll turn it over to you. Oh, man. Bringing the reactions in for the close. I'll, I'll try my best to 
come up with my own unique thoughts and not parrot the things that you guys already mentioned, which were all fantastic points. Uh, I feel that some of the words that and some of the thoughts that you guys share are are definitely ones that I do as well. I wrote in that in that Facebook post that perseverance was the biggest struggle for me as well. And I see it a little bit differently than you do though. Not so much in the, you know, stick to something when it's hard thing. The the things that make situations hard for me, at least initially, right. Is the uncertainty of the situation, or maybe that I don't have a team or a group of people that are with me on it. You know, I'm, I'm buoyed and my spirits are lifted when I'm not going at it alone, right. Not fighting a one man fight. So early on, when I haven't kind of brought people on board with something that's really important to me, or I need to convince others to see my point of view and follow me, I don't think that I'm a natural leader in that way. People don't just see me and say, wow, yeah, I'm going to follow him to wherever. But I think I can convince people with thought and then, you know, listening to their feedback, incorporating their points of view into, you know, a well-rounded direction. And so the thing that with perseverance though, that makes it difficult for, or where I I find difficulty is then after it's the, it's the follow through the stick sticking to it. You know, it's not, it's easy to come up with a creative solution and the initial excitement of getting something off the ground and moving forward with it. But then when it starts to get into the mundane of weekly follow-ups and continued discussion and, you know, tweaking and things like that, where I start to lose a lot of my drive. And then it's, it's difficult for me to persevere through the, the boredom aspect of it or the routine aspect of it, because it's, it's something that should be, still be important to me, but I struggle though to stick to it for long enough to really see the effects that I want to see. So that that's why I have put perseverance as my weakest, and then you had to persevere through this podcast, though. This is this is going to keep going. <laughs> One thing that this has uh, is that it requires continued creative thought to expand and grow what we're trying to what we're trying to accomplish here, and so I think the mundane aspects of this project are, you know, are a, a, a long ways off because we have a lot to do to get up to where we want to be, but I'll, I'll yeah, do my agreed, best. Agreed. <laughs> I, it definitely helps that the two of you guys are with me on this. If I was just doing this solo sure. podcast, it would have been more of a struggle, I think. So my strengths I, I put down was, was humor. And what I'll talk about with that is, is just one point that I wish was more common in our profession right? Is I think we fall into a trap often of taking everything that we do so seriously. And that's not to say that, you know, our profession and our tasks aren't important tasks, but they're not all consuming. They're not the most important thing in the world, you know, and I want to do a good job and I want to be, uh, impactful, you know, and, and improve the lives of our patients and our customers and deliver the mission success that we want to deliver. But, but we also have to kind of come into it with a bit of a light heart and not worry too much about perfection, you know, perfection being the enemy of good, you know, steal death phrase, but that's one where area where, you know, like I, I know you guys, we've sat around the same conference table in meetings and things like that. And, you know, I'm on the hunt 
for opportunities to laugh at ourselves while we're going through that. You know, <laughs> I think I think Manoj is thinking about possibly the, the greatest timing moment that I, I, I had, at least within the the confines of the group conference room. What is it? Was it the Zoolander one? Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll tell the story since you know I don't want to leave anybody hanging on that. A few years back at a previous base that we were both at, and so we, you know, typical squadron meeting. You know, you sh- you have like the, the the standard agenda stuff that you're looking at. Like I, I just love like we we've got video on here. I know we don't share video on this podcast, but I'm just watching Manoj like practically fall off his chair here. It's great. Anyway, so typical stuff. You've got you know EPRs, decorations. And we've got gains and losses. And the squadron commander we worked for at the time, when she, when the gains and losses would would show up, she would read each name that that was on the list, and you know look to somebody, oh hey, where are we at with this one? So she's reading the list of names, and then there's this one gentleman, uh, staff sergeant, and he was a uh, I can't do it without uh, mentioning his name. Tell the where the joke was, but she's like Hanson. Hanson and I lean over to Manoj. And I, what is what's the character's name? Masferatu uh, or something like that. It's Will, uh, it's Will Ferrell's character. It's Will Ferrell's character in Zoolander. And I whisper, I lean over to Manoj and I'm like, he's so hot right now. Like the scene from Zoolander. <laughs> <laughs> and it just. You know, I couldn't he, stop laughing for like a good 10 minutes. I couldn't. <laughs> it was so bad. He couldn't hold it in right in the meeting, too. It was just like. <laughs> I straight up, I was going to go into my slide next, I'm pretty sure. And I was like, I can't do it. I can't. <laughs> I remember multiple times sitting across the table from, from Greg and having to stifle laughter, like intentionally having to look somewhere else, knowing that he was either loading a joke or getting ready to load one. So, yeah. So thank you for always making the meetings interesting. So that was a great, that was a great moment. That's, that's, uh, that's a good, uh, round of drink story uh, for the future. Thanks for, thanks for reminding me of that, Manoj. That's a, a good story. But uh, last couple of thoughts I'll share about the book, you know, and then get into a little bit of discussion uh, is, yeah, I found, you know, obviously being in the military and having served in the military for several years, I found the stories, you know, that, Mc, you know, Admiral McRaven used to illustrate the different codes I, I found it all very relatable. You know, there's a lot of a lot of military focused stories, and like you said, Manoj, even though I'm not a Navy SEAL, I've never served in the Navy. You know, there, there's a commonality to those stories, just with the way that the military does business and the way we we interact with each other. But at the same flip side of the same coin, one of the negatives that I have about this book is it was a very easy read, and it's also in some ways very forgettable in that way where I breezed through it and I think took a lot for granted with, you know, some of the items of the, of the hero code. I know Chris, you said integrity was, you know, the strongest aspect of the, uh, you know, that resonated with you, but, you know, in some ways I read uh, integrity, sacrifice, humility, duty, and there's like, well, we've been living that life and living those principles for, for so long that, I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about it. Like, am I acting with integrity today? You know, I I feel like, uh, although I'm certainly not perfect, the scales tip in the balance, uh, or you know, towards like I I act with integrity significantly more than I don't. And so, 
in in some ways I just kind of breeze through and almost automatically or immediately forget those things because again it's just kind of like oh well I know this and then last thing is I mentioned it in the, in that post but I thought that the it was the chapter on duty I believe which was the story about the airman that was guarding the gate in Afghanistan when then I think Major General or or Rear Admiral McRaven two star was going to brief President Obama at the time and his convoy came up to this gate. And although, you know, I certainly believe like that, that the incident happened and it's just the way it reads, it reads like a script from a CBT about like the LOAC or something, the law of armed conflict or or one of those CBTs or it just comes across as very canned and, you know, the airman doesn't seem human. You know, it's a, it's a non-player character in the story to steal a gaming reference. But those are, those are my main takeaways. And then just as, as a brief aside, I, I did do a little bit of digging because uh, I, I want to look up Admiral McRaven and maybe f- find some interesting stories about him, at least what's publicly available out there. I'm sure he's got some cool round of beers stories that he could tell about his career. But one of the things that I actually found the most interesting was who his dad was. So his dad uh, was, uh, his name was Claude McRaven, and he was actually a retired colonel in the Air Force. I'll just tell it just briefly a little bit about Colonel Claude McRaven. Uh, He joined the Army Air Corps in 1942, and after basic training at Brook Airfield in San Antonio, he went to England and then uh, was flying Spitfires in World War II, doing like bomber convoy or bomber escort duty in World War II, got the Distinguished Flying Cross there, and an air medal with uh, 12 Oakleaf clusters. So dude spent some time in the air. Hold on a second. Hold on. 12. One, two. Yeah, like two, silver, two silver leaves and wow. and, a, uh, and two bronze. You can't that even see the amazing. ribbon at that point. Like, I feel like, <laughs> yeah, just say he needs a second ribbon just to hold the devices. <laughs> yeah, so he served in World War II, the Korean War, and the Vietnam War, and then retired in the midst of the Vietnam War. But then, uh, post college, but prior to joining the Army Air Corps, he was drafted by and played in the NFL as a tailback for the St. Louis Browns. And then played with the Cincinnati Bengals as well in the AFL at that time, because that was before the AFL-NFL merger. And so he did that, and then and then he left that career to join the Army Air Corps uh, in 1942, like, like so many people did, you know, at that time. Anyway, so I, I found his career really interesting. And of course, you know, him being Air Force, there's, you know, some biased interest on my part. And plus the Spitfire is my favorite uh, airplane, definitely my favorite fighter in history. And so that was just one of my favorite things about being stationed in England when we were there was uh, getting to see Spitfires actually fly and, and go see them in museums and things like that. Anyway, so Claude McRaven, pretty cool dude, also had a son who was very uh, well accomplished in William McRaven. All right, Chris, you have any, uh, any, any questions for discussion? Oh, I was just going to say that I don't have any questions oh. per se. <laughs> I definitely wanted to piggyback on the humor aspect. So, but if anyone knows me, like I'm a huge fan of the dad joke. So I definitely try to bring those into the office as much as I can. Like when I have uh, daily or weekly huddles with my team, we usually go through our 
work stuff and then I end the huddle with a dad joke. And I don't care how good or bad it is. I am laughing constantly. And if the other people don't laugh, that's one thing, but they're usually laughing at me, laughing at myself at how bad that dad joke was. I love bringing humor into the office because I think it lightens up the mood a little bit. It takes people off edge if they are, gets everyone relaxed. And I think when you have relaxed, happy workers, I think work gets, I think the work's going to get done regardless, but I think it's just done in a more tempered manner and a more efficient manner too. If it's, if everyone's relaxed and happy to be at work. So do you, uh, so one thing that the listeners out there really need to know about Manoj with this is that he writes a lot of these jokes on sticky notes and then sticks them on the wall of his office. (laughs) And so one question that I have for you is when you're, when you're PCSing or when you're rotating from one job to another do you take those sticky notes down and then just start using them over again or or do you just start fresh each time dude it, it's a new audience every time i can start over <laughs> i don't have to recreate the wheel <laughs> or maybe put the ones that really fell dead no no yeah, yeah. no chuckles I, I at all. yeah <laughs> those ones end up in the I trash work- can <laughs> yeah yeah i workshop them over time i was like okay maybe not this one and maybe not with this crowd but you could do like a and, you know, RM no joke, but maybe not in the Arm of Flight because it's like, man, you can do it other places. But. Yeah, RMO, if, if anywhere, really needs to, you know, not take themselves so seriously. It's just the budget. Or uh, Demers I. I just recently De- got De- reintroduced. Demers, Demers Y, am I right? <laughs> Sorry, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see myself out. That was good. I like that. So, Greg, you had mentioned as you were talking about, so one of the things that you didn't like and you just sort of glossed over. So you said integrity. I think there were, right, integrity, duty. I know for me, like personally, when I feel like kind of just glossing over a section, I sort of take that as a signal that maybe I need to revisit that area and maybe dig in a little deeper, ask myself, why is it that I feel like I'm I'm just sort of glossing over this? Why do I want to push away from this? And and that's probably a lot from my own experience, especially, you know, like I had mentioned before with the courage and sort of taking on my own demons and just trying to ignore those. It was a bit of a self-defense mechanism, but I think, I think your, your point might've been more to that. We hear these words and ideas so often, right? Because you said it yourself, right? We don't ask ourselves, am I acting with integrity today? But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be trying to evaluate or look at our own integrity. So I guess my question is, is when you see yourself kind of glossing over those things, is it just that you're kind of burned out by those? I don't want to call them buzzwords, but sometimes they feel like buzzwords, right? I mean, we hear integrity gets in our core values, right? So sometimes, you know, we might get the eye rolling, you know, come on, but they are important. So it just seems like there's like, they are important things, but yet sometimes we do tend to just kind of brush them off and go, man, I've heard this so many times. How do we keep from doing that? It's a very thought-provoking question. Good job. Okay. So no, I, I mean, I, I agree. I agree with you though, that, that that's a good point where if you find yourself, you know, having a negative or maybe just a neutral reaction to some of these things, like the, the way this book is written, it's meant to inspire. And so if, if you read a chapter of that and it doesn't inspire you at least a little bit, like maybe that the the anecdote or the you know the vignette from Admiral McRaven's life doesn't resonate with you particularly or for whatever reason, but 
you know, if it doesn't inspire you, I, I guess it's good to ask a question to you. Like, well, why, why is that? Why doesn't it? I think in at least my, my initial reaction, and I may have to give this deeper thought and revisit it later, but my initial thinking was that I didn't really go into reading this book with the mindset of looking at it as like a self-assessment. How do I how do I measure up against these codes and where do I need to invest my effort in order to reach the ideals that Admiral McRaven is saying that we should aspire to? I, I was reading it more from a mindset of learning, you know, that what are what's something new that I can learn from this or that I can take away. And again, just I guess maybe more outward forward focused in my mind than introspective. And so to that point, when I'm reading the chapter on sacrifice or I'm reading the chapter on integrity, I didn't feel like I really learned much new from that because the lessons of you acting with integrity and sacrificing for something larger than yourself are just things that we have had drilled into us from early on in our military careers. And so I feel very comfortable with what those concepts mean. And I think, you know, that it would be worth rereading the book again at a later date, but reading it from the aspect of, well, how do I measure up against these ideals, which are the ones maybe all 10 don't have the same level of importance, but they do, you know, which uh, which of these you know do I I feel like I should be stronger in and I'm not and it's had some sort of negative impact on my life and you know where can I go to do better but I, I'll have to go into it again with kind of with a different mindset uh, on a second read for sure yeah I think it's important maybe for the listeners to understand and if anybody hadn't read the book we chose to well we didn't choose Greg had put in his post his strongest and weakest traits. This was not an idea that the author had asked the readers to sort of think about, but I I felt when I read that post, I should take that moment to reflect on that. But I think to your point, Greg, that, you know, if you do go back and you reread to kind of have that, like, okay, sort of read it for alignment to where you are right now and sort of from a personal or professional development point of view, I don't think that he's like looking at I don't think the author, sorry, I should say, I don't think the author is thinking that we should rank them or that any one is more important or less important than the other. Cause I think there's a lot of context for these, right? You know, you guys both had talked about humor and there's a lot of context involved in using humor, knowing when to use it and how to use it. So is it important? Yeah, sure. But it could also be used to your detriment if used incorrectly. No, and I, I liked how on the, you know, on the, on the book jacket, you know, you kind of, he kind of mentions this is not a, the hero code is not a cipher. It's not a puzzle or some secret message. Like this is the recipe to be a great leader or anybody or a great person. Um, he just says, it's just a code of conduct, lessons and virtues that be, become the foundations of our character. And I mean, I'm not trying to disagree with this book in any way or fashion, but like, I don't think you need all 10 of these to become like, the hero, you know, the person, the, the uh, a person uh, living the life worth living. But honestly, if you have just a few of these, you you are in, in someone's eyes definitely a hero. Even if you are just that hopeful person, you have no courage, you have no humility, you don't sacrifice anything, blah blah. But if you're just hopeful, 
if that character is brought out a lot, you know, you could give hope to a lot of other people to become better people, better leaders, better teachers, better officers, airmen, whatever, you know, another like example with mine was, you know, hope I had mentioned earlier, the last quote he has in the hope chapter is I will use my unique talents to inspire others and give them hope that tomorrow will be a better day. And I read that and I thought back of high school, I, I ran cross country in high school. Let me rephrase that. I walked cross country in high school. I was horrible. I don't even know why I was running cross country. There's no reason I should. I hate running to this day. I don't know why I was doing it, but I kept doing it. And at one point, I think I was a junior or senior, an upper classman, and I was still running my horrible, horrible times, but I had eighth graders and ninth graders finishing way ahead of me. And they're like, oh man, we beat a senior. I was like, oh, I gave them hope. That's cool. I'm going to keep doing this then. I'm going to keep running horrible and let them finish ahead of me. And if it gives them hope, well, hey, I, I was happy about that. I wasn't disappointed. I was not even breaking 30. I was happy. I was making them happier because they felt like they could beat an upperclassman. You served a purpose. So I have a, I have a question. Is there anything you would add to the list or I guess even maybe take off of the list and replace it with something? I would think just maybe add though. One, one that maybe is covered in there in, in some ways, but maybe could, could be more explicit would be trust. And well, I like I, that. That's one I, of my personal core values. And I, I think again, one of the more insidious ways in which you know our character can be negatively impacted is when we have an inability to trust others and you know, it just kind of eats at you from from underneath you know and and results in i think a lot of negative behaviors and at least for me you know this is just kind of off the cuff but you know, in areas, especially where I feel like I can take a little bit of risk without, you know, anything serious coming, you know, even if it goes horribly, you know, nothing seriously bad is going to happen as a result of it. You know, you know, we're not putting a patient in danger or as a flip side, you know, if I, when I was a BMET and if I had a, a fellow BMET that I was working with who I know was bad and was pencil whipping their work, right? You know, I'm not going to trust them at all to do any of that by themselves, right? You know, follow up on them or or talk with their their supervisor and make sure that the appropriate QA is being done on that work. But you know, especially in in administrative areas where you know our our effect on the patient is second, third order from the actions that we take day to day, there's a little bit more opportunity to take risk there and and just trust that you know that these people they are they have the training to do the job and they have they understand the importance of the work and then just let them let them go and maybe it doesn't go very well and and it needs to be redone or or we don't get the thing that we wanted uh if we're trying to you know use a decision brief to advocate for something but we have to trust them and because they they people people know when you don't trust them they can feel it even if they don't say anything overtly. And if, if they know that they don't have your trust, it's easy to just go to that minimal effort mode where you're just going to get whatever level of effort they need to give in order to keep you off their back. And that's it. Yeah. I like that. And I know that he 
had mentioned trust under the integrity umbrella. But me personally, I agree with you. I, I think trust should have had its own or could have had its own section. Because although I think trust and integrity are similar, they're definitely two distinct, I think, ideas. And I think you did a good job explaining trust. Me personally, I think I would have I would add something to the effect of like knowledge or education or wisdom. I, I would have added something to that. I mean, I'm I'm a lifelong learner. I enjoy learning. Like I've always been told that you know, try to learn as much as you can try to be very well read because the only thing that can never be taken away from you is your education. So I was in, I was surprised to be honest, not to see something in there about education. Time for unpopular opinion. All right. So who's got an unpopular opinion that we can talk about? I, I have one that I'm reluctant to share. I do believe this is truly an unpopular opinion. I do not believe we should be allowed to have beards. Ooh. Ooh, man. Okay. Now don't now don't get me wrong. I would love to grow a beard in uniform. It's my experience that it seems like most people are saying, or the common narrative around beards is that it will somehow improve morale. And I just don't see how that is possible. So if you look at the similar efforts for everybody wanting to wear ball caps. So this happened while I was in AFIT. I remember there being a huge push for it. A lot of people wanting to have ball caps. Now we have them. And I think I see maybe less than 10% of people actually wearing a ball cap. So I just don't see if the argument is we're going to have beards because it'll increase morale. And it's just, I just don't see how that's going to happen. I would say definitely more than half of the people that I work with do the ball cap. So it's quite popular here for what it's worth. Yeah. Maybe that's a, maybe it's just my assignment, but isn't it nice to have options? Yeah. I, I, that would be my, my principal counter argument to you is I, I think we, the beard debate, at least lately, right. Is we point a lot to the ponytail wear in for females in uniform, right? And how now they can they can wear ponytails as long as they're not excessive, you know, there's still standards to it. But with the ponytail, there's still people that put their hair in a bun. And, yeah. you know, I, I know some individuals who like, you know, while I've been doing it this way for umpteen number of years, like I, I'm not going to change. And I think my biggest thing about the, the beard debate is that if you don't want to grow a beard, then don't. And that's okay. And just like uh, having a mustache is like, you don't have to have a mustache, even in the month of March, you don't, you don't have to do it and that's okay. But one of the interesting arguments that I've seen recently that's out there was about how people with shaving waivers, it's statistically significant. There's a statistically significant difference in promotion rates for people with shaving waivers versus non-shaving waivers. And so they're essentially being actively or passively discriminated against for promotion and for special duty consideration because they uh, have a shaving waiver. So it's definitely more persuasive than the, but I just want one argument or the Germans get to grow beards and the Canadians get to grow beards. Why can't we have beards too? Argument. Anyway, what are your thoughts, Manoush? Yeah, for me, I just, I'd like the option not to shave every day. I mean, I don't know if I'd grow a complete beard, but I would probably go without shaving for three or four days. That'd be nice. I know there's the other argument, you know, when you have to wear the gas mask, 
especially if you're stationed in places like Korea where you're going to put that stuff on like every other week, you don't get that good steel around the gas mask. So probably a good reason to shave. And if you have that shaving labor or decide to grow a beard, then hey, you, you just can't be stationed and employed in those areas. You're going to be home station ATC. But I think I would probably like the option of not having to shave all the time. Yeah. So Greg, I think you hit the nail on the head and to maybe kind of get to the point that I was trying to make with it being an unpopular opinion. If we're just selling this as, oh, it's because I want to do it. There's no benefit. Like to what end then do we continue to just make changes for the sake of appeasing to the majority of the population or even the minority of, of people? Because sometimes the minority has the, lo- the louder voice than the majority. But if we're if we're saying, okay, well, now we're doing this to try to eliminate that stigma that is there with the shaving waivers, then yeah, I think that the argument becomes a lot more effective and more reasonable. It just seems like the argument though right now is, well, they did it with their hair and I don't want to shave every day. This isn't fair. I had a an SEL. We were having a conversation. This was completely off the books. And he, he said, we were talking, I don't remember exactly what we were talking about. We were more or less about giving back airmen's time. So that was like a big phrase that was going around at the time. I think it still is in many ways. But he asked me, he said, to what end? When do we know that we've reached that target, that we've given airmen back enough of their time? How are we measuring that? And and maybe, I don't know, I might not be doing his question service, but it really stuck with me when he just, it was simple. And to what end? Where's the end goal in mind for giving back time or what's the end what's the end goal for allowing us to grow beards or allowing us to put our hands in our pockets now what problem did that solve it could be morale i mean i'll be honest i'm kind of happier that i can put my my hands in my pockets i was doing it all the time and i was definitely calling myself out or somebody else would slightly call me out about i was like oh yeah you're right, you're right i can't do it but yeah if it's if it's a small thing like morale i mean i i know people are trying to focus about mental health and the air force now and all this stuff and if we can just boost a little bit of morale somewhere even if it's a non-significant area why don't we just do it who's that hurting really like is that really making us look less professional in my opinion no so let's give it to them but you can't have the beard until you're a five level so (laughs) three level or or on the officer side you know when you're a 41 a1 yeah you know until you until you earn your fully qualified you know then you have to remain clean shaven and then you can grow a beard then you have the option to grow a beard at that point I remember having a conversation while I was in Kosovo with one of the Scandinavian countries. I don't remember. It was like Norway or Denmark, but they were allowed beards and some very, very awesome beards. Some of these guys were growing. And I remember asking them like, so what's the criteria here? Is there like, do you have like a regulation or some guidance? How does this work? So he told me that they get permission to grow a beard for two weeks, and then they go to a panel of senior NCOs and they judge them and give them a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Like, okay, this is what it looks like after two weeks. Yeah, you're good. Or nope, that's not a beard. That that will never be a beard. You're not growing one. You must shave. I thought that was pretty interesting. I don't know if he was just messing with me or if that was really how they did it, but I thought that was a very interesting way of approaching it. So maybe we could do something like that. I don't know. I'm sure our senior enlisted leaders would have a lot of fun with that. I I like that. I like that idea. Um, Yeah, it sounds pretty good. It definitely doesn't give time back to airmen, you know, or at least not (laughs) at the, at that, whoever's sitting on that board. 
the you know because you just know the air force will be like we'll we'll have to put so much regulation and bureaucracy into that it will <laughs> yeah. take any fun out of that you know the board must be held no earlier than the third of the month no later than the 12th <laughs> yeah uh, you know i just imagine and- I can see that being very problematic. (laughs) Bullet. Your beard must be in bullet format. (laughs) Bulleted beards. All right. So that's my unpopular opinion. But actually, sorry, before before we get off of that, you're taking the unwritten rule about no white space right into the into the open of you know, no white space on the beard. Yeah, it's gotta be full, fully grown in, line, you know, from edge to edge. You need a semicolon right here. And you're good to go. <laughs> I, I do like that punctuation pun, Manoj. Thank you for that. I knew where you were going with that. So I'll go ahead and introduce the next book that we're going to read. It's going to be It Worked for Me in Life and Leadership by Colin Powell. So I will say a former squadron commander that we all had, shout out to Colonel Mackey. She actually gave me this book when I promoted the captain. And I, I promise I've been meaning to read it. And this will be the time that I finally get to it. So I'm excited to read this one. I noticed that he doesn't put four-star retired general on his name. No knock on Admiral McRaven. Well, I, I, I've I've actually read It Worked For Me already. Well, I don't think Colonel Mackey gave it to me as a gift, but she did recommend it to me. Anyway, so I, I, I've read it previously, and there are a lot of military stories in there. But I think maybe, you know, Admiral McRaven retired not too long ago. Colin Powell retired quite a while ago. So maybe... Time and distance did a bit of that. He recently passed away, didn't he? Like uh, within the last year? He did. Yeah. All right. So in memoriam. Yeah. So, hey, if you see any future posts out there, uh, any listeners, if you see any future posts out there about book reviews or, you know, asking for any feedback and you're interested in getting your 15 seconds of fame on the Seat 41A podcast, feel free to leave a comment or send us an email or direct message uh, to seat 41 a at gmail.com or leave a comment on our Facebook page and you know we might feature you in the show. So look forward to hearing you from you in the future and looking forward to some new content that we're looking to put together here over the coming months and bring in some some other voices uh, into these conversations and what we can do there. So uh, until next time, take care. C41A is an independent company and produced by C41A Media. Digital media support and creative director, Minoj Rima. Marketing and IT, Christopher Foote. And director and outreach, Greg Taylor.